Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. For years, ParCast has worked tirelessly to bring you an unprecedented look at history's most radical true crime events. Your support has not only allowed us to keep exploring these stories, but has driven us to keep expanding as well. So as a thank you to the ParCast listeners, I am honored to announce the release of our first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. It's available on July 12th, and you can pre-order it today at parcast.com slash cults. The Branch Davidians, The Anthill Kids, Heaven's Gate, and more. Cults combs through the terrifying details never explored in any of Parcast's series before. This is a passion project only made possible by you. So we truly hope you'll enjoy it. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. Due to the graphic nature of this dictator's reign, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and suicide. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On a summer day in 41 BCE, 42-year-old Roman General Mark Antony stood amid a crowded marketplace in Tarsus, a city in modern-day Turkey. As the ruling governor of the Eastern Roman Empire, it was his job to listen to petitions submitted by the people. As the day wore on, Antony noticed the crowd abruptly shrink. This was odd, because he knew there were more complaints to be heard. But something more interesting drew everyone's attention to the Sidnus River. In the dwindling crowd, someone shouted that the goddess Aphrodite was on her way. Antony joined the crowd that gathered on the banks of the bright turquoise river. From there, he gazed upon a magnificent ship heading his way. The vessel glittered with gold. Each oar was tipped with silver and shone brightly in the sun. The sails were cut from rare, extravagant purple silk. Burning incense surrounded the boat with a powerful, sweet aroma. And to top it all off, an orchestra on deck played beautiful music that echoed over the river. Sitting in the center of the deck was 28-year-old Cleopatra, the queen of Egypt. She reclined on pillows, fanned by enslaved men, and she watched her servant sailors bring her ship toward the riverbank. As the lovely boat docked, an amazed Mark Antony couldn't take his eyes off the even more lovely Cleopatra. Moments later, a messenger approached him and proclaimed, Aphrodite has come to dine with Dionysus. It was Cleopatra's way of extending a flattering dinner invitation, which Antony gladly accepted. It was the beginning of one of the most famous love affairs in history and the destruction of a 300-year-old Egyptian dynasty. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This season of Dictators, we're diving into the world of ancient Egypt to explore the lives of the pharaohs, 
Today, we conclude with our final episode about Cleopatra, the last pharaoh of the Ptolemaic dynasty. Last week, we looked at Cleopatra's tumultuous upbringing, the difficult and unstable early years of her reign, and her alliance with Julius Caesar. This week, we'll explore how Rome's political chaos brought Cleopatra to Mark Antony, and how their affair made them enemies throughout the Mediterranean. We'll head to ancient Egypt right after this. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cleopatra VII became pharaoh of Egypt in 51 BCE when she was just 17 years old. Within a few years, she got a crash course in how difficult it was to be Egypt's ruler. Civil unrest and a palace coup forced her into exile in 48 BCE. She was only able to return to Egypt with the help of Roman leader Julius Caesar. Cleopatra's independence as a leader always depended on the goodwill of Rome. If she lost its imperial support, then she was certain to lose her throne. But by 44 BCE, it seemed as if everything was going her way. Julius Caesar, her lover and benefactor, was the most powerful man in Rome. Cleopatra's power was secure. But then, on March 15th, Caesar was assassinated, and the Roman Republic descended into civil war. On one side of the war were Caesar's assassins, led by Marcus Junius Brutus and Gaius Cassius Longinus. On the other side were Caesar's allies, General Mark Antony and Caesar's adopted heir, Gaius Octavius, known as Octavian. Though they came together to defeat a common enemy, they both aimed to be Caesar's successor. Cleopatra knew that it was only a matter of time before she and Egypt would be caught in the middle of the Roman power struggle. Assessing the situation, Cleopatra believed that Antony and Octavian were in a better position to keep her in charge of Egypt. And as luck had it, they needed cash and grain for their troops which Cleopatra was ready to provide. But before she could intervene, Antony and Octavian defeated the assassin's forces in October 42 BCE. Rather than wait to be caught and executed after the defeat, Cassius and Brutus took their own lives. The Roman Civil War was over. It was a fortuitous moment for Cleopatra. 
She didn't have to publicly choose a side or face the consequences if they had lost. Instead of spending her time focusing on Rome's turmoil, Cleopatra could now devote her time to a sudden crisis at home. In 41 BCE, the Nile River's water was low and threatened harvests across Egypt. It appeared a famine was imminent. In order to get ahead of rampant starvation, Cleopatra instituted a food program which focused on feeding the people of Alexandria. However, grain crops were also the basis of the Egyptian economy. So, to avoid inflation, Cleopatra lowered the silver content of Egyptian currency, devaluing them by perhaps as much as 50%. She then increased the production of cheaper bronze coins. And in April, she issued a decree protecting landowners from harassment by tax collectors. These new policies successfully appeased her people, who'd once exiled her during a similar crisis. This time, her deft political actions prevented any talk of a coup d'etat. But just because she had placated the Egyptians didn't mean she was safe from the Romans. Though it was now technically at peace, the empire could no longer tolerate shared power between Caesar's successors. Antony and Octavian both hoped to rule alone. Once again, Cleopatra knew that whenever that conflict inevitably erupted, she would have to pick a winner. And then Mark Antony made the first move. Fresh off his victory over Brutus and Cassius, Antony was eager to win more glory by defeating a foreign enemy. He set his sights on the Parthian Empire in modern-day Iraq and Iran. He hoped to use Egypt as a springboard for an invasion there. But he also wanted Cleopatra's dwindling grain supplies to feed his army. So in the summer of 41 BCE, Antony sent her a message to meet him at Tarsus in modern Turkey. Seeking another powerful Roman patron, Cleopatra accepted. Furthermore, she understood the effect of a grand entrance. So she made sure her arrival would be unforgettable. In a slick power move, Cleopatra took her time sailing to Tarsus and kept Antony waiting. When Roman messengers urged her to hurry up, she ignored them. For the final leg of the journey up the Cydnus River, Cleopatra embarked on the large yacht with a golden hull, purple sails, and silver-tipped oars. It presented quite a sight when the ship docked in Tarsus. But Cleopatra wasn't done. While her grand entrance, and perhaps her beauty, seized Antony's attention, she wanted to prove that she was more than a puppet for Rome. Her dinner invitation forced Antony to come to her, though she was slightly disappointed when they finally met. With Julius Caesar, Cleopatra had an equal in intelligence and wit. But according to Plutarch, she had to dumb down her humor to suit Mark Antony. Still, she found him charming and easy to talk to. Over the next few days, the two grew closer. Despite their age difference, there was a natural attraction. Cleopatra was 28 years old and a charismatic beauty, while 42-year-old Mark Antony was still handsome and burly. It didn't take long for them to become lovers and allies. In fact, Antony was so smitten by Cleopatra that he gave her a grisly gift. 
He ordered that her younger sister, the rebellious Arsinoe, be put to death. The execution was likely at Cleopatra's request, because until her own children came of age, there were no other family members to challenge her rule. The romance was so strong that Antony left Rome to accompany Cleopatra on her return to Alexandria. They spent the winter of 40 BCE there together. The two bonded over a shared love of luxury. They formed a club called the Inimitable Livers and enjoyed a life of debauchery with endless feasts and wine. They dined on golden plates while rose petals tumbled down from the ceiling. It was the height of imperial hedonism. But the party couldn't last forever. In 40 BCE, Antony left Egypt to deal with a crisis in Rome. Caesar's heir, Octavian, had declared war against his political enemies, which included Antony. However, instead of raising an army to fight Octavian, Antony opted to negotiate for peace. Ultimately, he and Octavian agreed to divvy up the Roman Republic. Octavian took Italy and the Western Empire, while Antony received the wealthier Eastern Empire. To seal this renewed alliance, Antony even agreed to marry Octavian's sister, the aptly named Octavia. We don't know for certain what Cleopatra thought of the marriage between Antony and Octavia, but we know that while her lover was away, Cleopatra gave birth to twins, and Antony was the father. It's likely that Antony's new marriage may have hurt her on an emotional level. But Cleopatra was cunning enough to recognize it was a part of the political game. As always, the most important thing was that Antony continued to support her right to rule Egypt. She also knew that despite a marriage and new alliance, Rome was still unstable. It was only a matter of time before Antony and Octavian came to blows. She expected the older, more experienced general to emerge victorious. So, ultimately, Cleopatra continued to put her faith in Antony without realizing that it was a fatal choice. Coming up, Cleopatra goes to war with Octavian. Listeners, I have a very special announcement. Parcast is releasing its first book on July 12th, and you can help us celebrate. It's called Cults. Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them. And you can pre-order it today at parcast.com slash cults. This book was written for the fans, so to commemorate its launch, Parcast will be throwing some exclusive in-person and online events featuring popular true crime hosts such as Ashley Flowers from Crime Junkie, Christine and M from And That's Why We Drink, and more. Just visit parcast.com slash cults for event dates, locations, and how to sign up. See your favorite true crime authors and podcasters discuss the cults book and have a chance to participate in live Q&As. These events have limited space, so don't miss out. RSVP today. None of this would be possible without your support, so we truly hope you'll join us. Pre-order your copy of Cults and sign up for upcoming events at parcast.com slash cults. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. 
Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Now, back to the story. In 41 BCE, the 28-year-old pharaoh Cleopatra began an affair with 42-year-old Roman general Mark Antony. Their alliance secured Cleopatra on the throne of Egypt, but Antony's ambitions also had the potential to destroy her power. After achieving a tenuous peace in Rome, Mark Antony set his sights once more on conquering the Parthian Empire. Parthia was essentially Rome's last foreign enemy, and many generals wanted to eliminate them. Of course, an invasion required money, food, and arms. For all this, Antony knew he could turn to Cleopatra. After all, it was the genesis of their relationship. But Cleopatra wasn't going to just let Antony take what he wanted from her kingdom, especially now. By the end of 37 BCE, Egypt's wealth was greater than it had been in years. The threat of famine had disappeared as the Nile River rose, and with Cleopatra's efficient economic policies, Egypt had plenty of grain stored up. Grain was like gold, because in this era, food was power. As such, Cleopatra was in a strong bargaining position. Throughout the winter of 37 BCE, she negotiated with Antony. In return for ships, grain, and money, Cleopatra asked for several Roman territories along the eastern Mediterranean, including Cyprus, Crete, and parts of Libya and Syria. Antony agreed. In the grand scheme of things, it made little difference to him whether Egypt and those lands were ruled by his lover or a vassal lord. With the new territories added to Egypt, Cleopatra became the wealthiest woman in the known world. In honor of her extended empire, she declared the beginning of a new era. A new calendar was created, and 36 BCE became year one. While Cleopatra basked in her glory, Antony set out to finally achieve his own. In the spring of 36 BCE, he marched into Parthia with nearly 100,000 soldiers. The Parthians were caught off guard by the invasion, so they refused to fight head-to-head. Instead, they relied on hit-and-run guerrilla tactics to slowly grind Antony's army down. Before long, Antony was forced to retreat back to Alexandria. The campaign was a total disaster. Defeat proved to be a major blow for Antony's reputation, and retreating into Cleopatra's arms didn't help his image. By now, there was a growing resentment against both Antony and Cleopatra, so his rival Octavian used the opportunity. While Antony was bumbling in the East, Octavian's propaganda further chipped away at his reputation. 
Octavian roused public anger by pointing out that Antony had given Roman land to Cleopatra and that he'd essentially rejected his Roman wife Octavia for a foreign lover. Neither Cleopatra nor Antony did themselves any favors in fighting against these attacks. In 34 BCE, the lovers celebrated a minor victory in Armenia. During the feast, Antony dressed in a golden robe and was seated with Cleopatra on a shimmering throne, almost like royalty. When word reached Rome, the elite were appalled. The ceremony reeked of monarchy, which the Romans detested. Octavian insisted that Antony sought to make himself a king with his capital at Alexandria. Of course, that meant Cleopatra would become his queen. Despite the obvious blowback, the pair continued to strengthen Octavian's argument for him. At one point, Antony proclaimed Cleopatra the queen of kings and her sons who are kings. All of Cleopatra and Antony's children were dressed as foreign monarchs, suggesting that Cleopatra and Antony planned to make them royalty. Such devotion from Antony must have made Cleopatra feel powerful. For the second time, a prominent Roman general had given his heart and soul to an Egyptian ruler. To her. She likely believed that as Antony's loyalty to her grew stronger, her place on the throne was more secure. Perhaps the most secure it had ever been throughout the Ptolemaic dynasty. But all this played right into Octavian's hand. He thrived on turning the Roman people against them. For example, Octavian claimed to have found a copy of Antony's will and read it aloud in the Roman Senate. The document allegedly asked that Antony be buried in Egypt rather than Rome. This request was greeted with disgust by the senators. Meanwhile, Octavian spread rumors that Cleopatra made Antony rub her feet like a servant and that he was an alcoholic. Antony responded with wild accusations of his own against Octavian. And soon, a new civil war was brewing. And this time, Cleopatra swore to help her lover defeat their shared enemy. During the winter of 33 BCE, Cleopatra and Antony assembled a fleet on the coast of modern Turkey. Then, in May 32 BCE, they sailed their army over the Greek peninsula and into Rome's backyard. But for Antony, mobilizing his forces wasn't a strong enough message. He wanted to make it abundantly clear that he was choosing Cleopatra and severing his pact with Octavian. So Antony did the unthinkable. He announced that he was divorcing his Roman wife, Octavia. Since she was Octavian's sister, this was a blatant insult, while the divorce itself was a slap in the face to Roman culture. By now, much of the Senate supported Octavian. As such, he was able to strip Antony of his titles and any legal powers. Afterward, Octavian hurled a javelin before the temple of the war goddess. It was a symbolic gesture that traditionally meant a declaration of war. But Octavian wasn't making this move against Antony. He was declaring war on Cleopatra. 
It was a deft move by Octavian. Going to war with Cleopatra would likely be more acceptable to the public and his own troops. It was better to paint the move as going after a foreign enemy than a fellow Roman. We don't know how Cleopatra felt about this threat, but by now she was very aware of how to play the political game, especially with the Romans. Octavian's declaration likely came as no surprise to her. But whatever she thought, the fact was that she and Egypt were now at war. Her status as Egypt's queen was in jeopardy, and Cleopatra chose to defend her throne at all costs. In early 31 BCE, Octavian moved his army into Greece. As word reached Cleopatra and Antony, they marched their forces to greet them. At the end of March, the armies met at Actium, a small port town in northwestern Greece. Cleopatra must have been confident of victory. Antony was older and more experienced in combat, and they had with them the larger army. According to Plutarch, Cleopatra and Antony had 100,000 men, while Octavian had 80,000. Unfortunately for Antony, while he was a competent tactical officer, as a commander, he was clumsy and bumbling. Rather than retreat and find better ground for fighting, Antony doubled down and tried to trap Octavian and his forces on a single hill. But soon, Antony was the one who was trapped. Octavian's massive naval fleet cut off Cleopatra and Antony's supply lines with some 400 warships. Cleopatra and Antony were stuck in a perilous position. But Antony stubbornly refused to withdraw or negotiate for peace. Instead, the two sides were stuck in a stalemate, which wreaked havoc on Antony's trapped army. As summer arrived, the humid weather and lack of water brought disease, which ravaged Cleopatra and Antony's numbers. As expected, this led to low morale, and before long, many of their soldiers defected to Octavian's army. By the end of August, even Antony admitted the situation had become hopeless and they needed to escape. During a war council, a subordinate suggested that they should abandon their fleet and march inland toward Macedon. According to Roman historian Cassius Dio, Cleopatra despised this idea. Not only would they be abandoning many of her ships, but giving up the navy would mean giving Octavian full control of the Mediterranean. Instead, she proposed they attempt to break his blockade. On September 2nd, 31 BCE, Antony attempted to rush through Octavian's armada with over 200 ships. Meanwhile, Cleopatra commanded another 60 ships in reserve. During the battle, a gap opened in the center of Octavian's fleet. Seizing the opportunity, Cleopatra raised sail and plunged through, escaping the blockade. Antony quickly followed her lead. By the time the Battle of Actium ended, only 70 of Egypt's nearly 300 ships managed to escape. They left behind at least two-thirds of their fleet and almost the entirety of their army. The mighty force Cleopatra and Antony had assembled to win the Roman world evaporated. There was no chance of victory. All they could hope for was to survive. 
After escaping Actium, the pair traveled to northwestern Egypt and separated. While Cleopatra returned to Alexandria, Antony stayed behind in order to rally an army of nearby Roman legions. To his great horror, he discovered that everyone had already defected to Octavian, and any pro-Antony commanders had been executed. Recognizing that the tide had turned against him, Antony attempted to take his own life. However, his friends stopped him and convinced Antony to return to Cleopatra in Alexandria. While Antony sunk into the depths of depression, Cleopatra's mood hardened. Her lover may have been prepared to give up, but she refused to admit defeat. Rather, she returned to Alexandria more committed than ever to securing her throne, even if it meant ruthlessly purging dissent among her own people. Coming up, the streets of Alexandria run red with blood. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now back to the story. On September 2nd, 31 BCE, Cleopatra and Mark Antony clashed with Octavian at the Battle of Actium. It was a showdown that the Roman Republic was waiting for, as the outcome would likely determine who controlled Rome and Egypt. Octavian emerged victorious, sending Cleopatra and Mark Antony back to Alexandria in ruin. Antony became increasingly depressed, even attempting to take his own life. But Cleopatra refused to accept defeat, especially since she knew it could cost her control of Egypt. Cleopatra knew that when word of the crushing defeat at Actium reached Alexandria, it had the potential of causing civil unrest. She needed to shape the narrative as quickly as possible. Luckily for her, by the time she got home, news of the defeat hadn't yet reached the Egyptian capital. So she tricked her people into believing she and Antony had won. Her ship sailed to port decorated with garlands, and the musicians on board played songs of victory. The illusion made her next move all the more surprising. Roman historian Cassius Dio suggests Cleopatra immediately purged all political rivals who might take advantage of her defeat, even before anyone knew. To this end, she oversaw the executions of a great number of Egyptian elites. She likely knew the truth would eventually come out, so she preemptively eliminated any opposition. However, there seems to be some historical debate around the bloody purge and its true extent. But considering that Cleopatra had a history of killing her own family members, 
a carefully calculated killing spree seems likely. Not only might she have had prominent citizens killed, Cleopatra would have confiscated their wealth. It was imperative that she had plenty of money on hand as she debated her survival. The bloody purge bought Cleopatra the time and money she needed to devise an exit strategy. While Antony sunk into a glum depression, Cleopatra worked desperately on a plan to save them both. For the moment, Octavian was delayed by crises in Italy, so he wouldn't be coming to finish them off just yet. But it was only a matter of time before the Roman leader did come to Egypt for a reckoning. At an Egyptian port on the Red Sea, she ordered the construction of a new naval fleet. Meanwhile, the few ships she still had were to be dragged across the desert to join them. Her plan was to take whatever wealth and mercenaries she could carry and sail away to the Indian Ocean. Perhaps she would go into comfortable exile, or maybe carve out a small kingdom in India with Antony. She also may have convinced herself that she could flee Egypt, but then make another comeback, like she did early in her reign. But that previous return had only been possible thanks to Rome's assistance. Now Rome was against her, as were the many vassals and allies who wanted to show their loyalty to the empire. One of those vassal kingdoms, located in modern Saudi Arabia, was eager to get on Rome's good side. Thus, their king sent an army to the Red Sea and destroyed Cleopatra's fleet before it was complete. The destruction of her fleet was a crushing blow for Cleopatra. In the weeks and months that followed, she wavered back and forth between accepting her situation while still looking for avenues to escape. It's still a mystery as to why she didn't just flee with Antony and some of her wealth. Perhaps troops loyal to Octavian made it impossible to sneak away. Perhaps she decided if she were to die, she wanted to do so in Egypt. Still, throughout the spring of 30 BCE, Cleopatra and Antony clung to some hope of finding a way out, including sending private messages to Octavian. For example, Antony reminded Octavian of their former friendship and asked to retire peacefully as a private citizen. Octavian remained ambiguous in his responses, but he had no intention of sparing Antony. Cleopatra, on the other hand, still had a card to play. Octavian wanted Egypt's wealth to pay his soldiers, she could reasonably argue that keeping her in power would allow her to raise money for Rome more quickly. Cleopatra sent Octavian gifts, including a throne, crown, and royal scepter. While these seemed a bit tone-deaf to the leader of an anti-monarch republic, the implication was obvious. With these, Cleopatra promised to provide him with great wealth if he allowed her children to remain kings and queens of Egypt. But just in case Octavian didn't bite, she had a contingency plan. She ordered a significant portion of her treasury moved into her mausoleum. She then had the building filled with kindling. At a moment's notice, a vast fortune could go up in smoke, which meant Cleopatra was effectively holding it hostage from Octavian. 
In all likelihood, she knew this was nothing more than a petty delay. After all, if Octavian wanted to seize the kingdom and its riches, he had the military power to do it. Rome's invasion of Egypt was a matter of when, not if. The moment finally came in the summer of 30 BCE. Finally free of obligations in Rome, Octavian went to Egypt to finish off Antony. One Roman army attacked from the west, while Octavian led a second army from Syria in the east. Throughout July, Antony attempted to sway some of Octavian's troops to defect. Sending messenger arrows into army camps, he even offered the Roman soldiers a small fortune if they switched sides. But nobody took him up on it. And by the end of the month, most of Octavian's troops were just outside Alexandria. On August 1st, Antony planned an assault with his remaining troops. The idea was to strike simultaneously on land and sea. But as the attack began, Antony watched in horror as his ships and his cavalry all surrendered to Octavian without a fight. Upon hearing of the defeat, Cleopatra and a few servants went to her mausoleum and sealed themselves inside. Then, for reasons that remain unclear, she sent a messenger to Antony to tell him that she had taken her own life. When Antony heard the news of Cleopatra's alleged death, he decided to join her in oblivion. After months of defeat and with his enemy ready to breach the city walls, death seemed like a warm welcome. Antony fell on his own sword, but his death wasn't instant. When he asked for someone to help finish him off, the servants refused. As Antony bled out, word of his suicide attempt reached Cleopatra. She ordered that Antony be brought to her immediately, except that was impossible. The entrance to the mausoleum was sealed permanently, so Cleopatra and her maids lifted Antony up and through a window with ropes. Just minutes after pulling him into the tomb, Antony died in her arms. Rather than rushing to join her lover in death, Cleopatra believed that she might still get out of the whole mess alive, or, at the very least, secure Egypt's future for her children. Through the sealed door, Cleopatra negotiated with Octavian's representatives. However, she didn't realize that Octavian was merely stalling. As the talks continued, a few of Octavian's men climbed through the mausoleum window. They seized Cleopatra, and she was hauled out of the tomb as a prisoner. Octavian's men held her in chains in her own palace. A few days passed before Cleopatra and Octavian met face to face. Accounts differ on how this encounter played out. Some have suggested that she tried to charm Octavian, while others say she simply listed off all her valuables as ransom. Whatever the specific details, the two certainly would have discussed money, as Egypt's wealth was still what most concerned Octavian. But his secondary concern was taking Cleopatra back with him to Rome. Like all Roman generals, Octavian wanted a massive celebration for victory. There was no better way to demonstrate his triumph over Antony than to parade his lover as a prisoner. This wasn't uncommon. 
While male prisoners were sometimes executed at the end of a triumphant spectacle, women never were. In fact, Octavian likely would have displayed his clemency toward Cleopatra in front of the Romans, as showcasing his benevolence was perfect propaganda. After all, once she was removed from power in Egypt, Cleopatra would be unlikely to threaten him again. But a life of retirement and comfortable exile did not appeal to Cleopatra. The thought of being paraded as a prisoner in Octavian's triumph was too humiliating for her to bear. She knew what to expect. After all, Julius Caesar did the same to her sister Arsinoe years earlier. She decided to take fate into her own hands. For her entire life, she had to balance the will of Rome with the future of Egypt. She wouldn't let them dictate her destiny anymore. On August 10th, 30 BCE, Cleopatra visited Antony's tomb and paid her respects. Then she bathed, dressed in ceremonial garments, and dined on a decadent meal with two maids. When she finished eating, Cleopatra took her own life. The exact method remains uncertain. Some ancient sources suggest a snake, probably an Egyptian cobra. Other reports suggest Cleopatra used a hollow hairpin filled with poison. With their mistress now dead, Cleopatra's maids also took poison. According to Plutarch, some of Octavian's men discovered the dying cohort and angrily shouted, A fine deed this! One of the maids responded, It is indeed most fine, and befitting a queen descended from so many kings. She then collapsed at Cleopatra's side. In a last act of defiance, Cleopatra denied Octavian the triumph he wanted. Instead, he would have to settle for a mere effigy of her at his celebration. Still, the fact remained that with Cleopatra and Mark Antony dead, Octavian was now the undisputed master of the Roman world. He seized Cleopatra's wealth and acquired the majority of Antony's pitiful forces. Most of Cleopatra's children were spared. All three who were fathered by Antony marched in Octavian's triumph and afterwards were raised by his sister Octavia. Eventually, Cleopatra Cellini married King Juba II of Mauritania in North Africa, which meant Cleopatra's daughter did become a queen after all. But 17-year-old Caesarian, Cleopatra and Julius Caesar's son, wasn't so lucky. He was old enough to be a threat, so Octavian had him executed. As expected, Octavian annexed the Egyptian kingdom and it became a province of the Roman Empire. Cleopatra was the last pharaoh of the Ptolemaic dynasty, and the 3,000-year history of Egypt's pharaohs came to an end. Even before Cleopatra's death, Octavian's propaganda machine worked hard to paint Cleopatra as an enemy of Rome. She was labeled a monstrous witch and a dangerous seductress, among many other things. Some of this imagery lingers with us today. Cleopatra is often described as a great beauty who used her sexuality to seduce and ultimately corrupt men. As usual, the truth is more complicated. 
Cleopatra was exceptionally intelligent, charismatic, and highly educated. Despite the bumpy years of her early reign, she used these qualities to turn Egypt's fortunes around. But the nation would never reach the heights of wealth, power, and prestige it had enjoyed under earlier pharaohs. Nevertheless, Cleopatra stabilized the country after years of civil war, economic downturn, and natural disasters, though her methods often relied on bloodshed. She was forced to play a delicately complex and very dangerous game of appeasing Rome without alienating Egypt. In doing so, she managed to keep her throne for 21 years. 2,000 years later, Cleopatra remains as famous as ever. She is still a forceful character in countless books, movies, and other stories as the quintessential Egyptian queen. Thanks for listening to Dictators. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Dictators was written by Devin Hughes, edited by Joe Guerra and Andrew Messer, with fact-checking by Anya Bayerly and research by Bradley Klein. Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. Exciting news. Parcast's first book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them, is now available for pre-order at parcast.com cults. Thanks to your support, we've compiled years of research, insights, and a catalog of case studies to expose more about these cults and the people behind them than ever before. Details which haven't even been explored in our Cults podcast. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them.